0: Download
1: our app in iTunes and the Google Play Store.
2: Sign up for the newsletter so you never miss an update.
1: Welcome to the podcast. to the smart passive income podcast where it's all about working hard now so you can sit back and reap the benefits later and here's your host he still believes building a solid email list is what all creators should be doing no matter what platform they're on pat flynn
3: Earlier this week, we spoke with Dory Clark, author of the brand new book, The Long Game, all about, you know, staying in this for the long haul and doing the things that you can do now so that you can have the most long-term success in both your business and in your life. And we talked about a lot of strategies to ensure that you're always staying on top of your business, your community, as well as your health and your mental health. All that stuff's really important to be able to do this for the long run, right? We don't just want those short term gains. We want the long term. We want the legacy. We want things to live beyond us and past us, even after we're gone. But today I wanted to talk about specifically how do we remain consistent? Because part of playing the long game, especially if you are going to be doing this for a while, especially in the creator economy, which we are in right now, you know, it can take a lot. To remain consistent, it can be very difficult to remain consistent with continually uploading, with continually showing up for your community, with continually providing value. That that takes a lot of energy. And as somebody who has now created 510 episodes of the Smart Passive Income Podcast and nearly 1,200 episodes of Ask Pat, I mean, we're approaching 2,000 total episodes, and that's just podcasts. I mean, we're talking over a thousand videos on YouTube. We're talking over a 1,000 blog posts on the channel, or on the blog, excuse me, smartpassiveincome.com. And I've been pretty consistent. Now, I haven't been consistent the entire time. There have been moments where I've been derailed. There's been moments where, for example, a troll really got in my head and almost made me give up, and I stopped creating content for a good month or so, and that wasn't good, and I've learned my lessons from that. The lesson being hurt people hurt people had nothing to do with me and more so because this person was hurt and they were taking it out on me. So that we'll, we'll save that for another time. In fact, I've talked about that many times before and I have a YouTube video about that. But we're not going to talk about that right now. We're going to talk about showing up and how to continually show up. And I'm going to give you five things to think about to help you do that. Number one is to do it enough, at least at the start, to turn whatever it is you're doing into a habit. I'm reminded of James Clear's book, New York Times bestselling author for several months now, in fact, I think several years, his book, Atomic Habits, an absolute game changer. He talks about this idea of providing yourself the opportunity to build a habit that will continually help you be successful, meaning, you know, we have good habits, we have bad habits, but when you specifically build small little habits in your life— that can help you remain consistent with creating content, for example, things can go a very, very long way. When things are now habitual, they become a little bit more automated and it takes some time to get there. Some people say it takes, you know, seven times for a thing to be automated, seven times for you to remember a name, seven times for, you know, whatever. I don't know where that number came from, but really what it's about is just repetition. Just continually showing up, and this is how the top athletes, this is how the top performers, the top musicians, top chess players, whatever, they show up continually and they get better every single time, right? You know, the 10,000-hour situation from Malcolm Gladwell. And if you don't show up, you can't get better. And even if you're just getting 1% better every time, when you build a habit of doing something— you can then focus on pushing yourself. And I think I heard Harry Mack say this. He is a uh, freestyle rapper on YouTube. He's gotten pretty famous over the last couple of years. And this this year in particular, he's just crossed a million subscribers. His superpower is he's able to take any words or anything that he sees and turn it into an amazing free flow, freestyle rap. And it sounds like he wrote it out. Ahead of time, and and it's genius. There's, we call them bars the way that he's uh, not just like rhymes words, but actually has it make sense and tell a story at the same time. It's it's amazing. Definitely check it out, Harry Mack I haven't seen a talent like that before. But I remember watching a video where Harry was talking about the fact that you know he doesn't. Somebody called out that he hardly messes up, but he does mess up. But he's practiced so much, and he's been practicing this freestyle situation since he was a kid that he can just breeze right through those mistakes and catch up. But more than that, the part that I wanna highlight was when he was discussing how he practices. Because when he practices, he practices to the point where he's fumbling, he's falling, he's failing. And he does that because that allows him to expand his tank, if you will. He talks about like a car. If you are trying to get to 80 miles per hour and your car only goes up to 100, 80 miles per hour, you can get there, but it's gonna be a lot of work and it's gonna feel very, very difficult and who knows how long you can maintain that. But when you practice and you build habit and you start challenging yourself, your, your tank starts to get bigger and your engine starts to get stronger, well, maybe now you can go up to 300 miles per hour. And now when you're trying to go 80, Like before, it's so much easier. In fact, your baseline is gonna be just, your automatic is gonna be better than what it would be for a struggle for somebody who is only going up to 100, if that analogy makes sense. And I love that, and I think that's great because I think, A, it shows that when we are trying things, we should be pushing ourselves because that expands our ability to move our foundation so that when we have to be automated, or like Harry, when he's just in the moment and flowing, He's now able to do it in, uh, at a bar that's much higher than others because he continually stretches himself. So continually build that habit so that you can create more experiments and do things that are outside of your comfort zone and raising that foundation bar so that you just continually remain at least consistent and your value can continue to rise over time. Number two, this was also mentioned in Atomic Habits, the ability for you to, when you are doing something repeatedly, Again, we're talking about staying consistent. If you are consistently trying to live stream every day on YouTube like I did for 365 days, if you're continually trying to write blog posts, if you're continually trying to record podcasts like this one, you wanna make it as frictionless as possible. Meaning, for example, when I was streaming every day for an entire year, everything was set up so that I could just sit down hit a couple buttons, the least amount of buttons possible. And I took a couple weeks to figure out how to do it more efficiently, but I tried to figure out what's the least amount of work I can do to go live. And then I figured that out. And that allowed me to not have to, A, make excuses, and B, just make it easy for me to sit down and record and I could focus now on the content versus, okay, well, where does my camera go? Where does my lighting, everything was set up. My lighting, cameras, microphones, I just had to sit down make the start of whatever it is that you continually have to do so easy that you don't need to use any brain power. You don't need to expend any calories to get started. You just go and then you can build those habits and everything we talked about in number one. Number three, recognizing and remembering your why. It can be very easy to get started because you have a reason and you have a drive for it, but in the middle of it, and when you've been sort of doing this for multiple seasons, whatever it is that you're trying to do, you can very much separate yourself from the beginning and why you are doing this in the first place. And I think it's important to have systems and support and and something in place so that you are reminded about why you're doing this in the first place because it will feel like work. It feels like a grind, and I tell you, like, this podcast and other content that I create, YouTube videos, it doesn't come easy. I try to make it as easy as possible, but it's still work. I'm grinding it out. But because I know why I'm grinding it out, I'm willing to do it. And so I have many of you to think for it. I'm often reminded from the audience that you are a big reason why I do what I do. I'm reminded every day being at home with the kids who are growing up so fast and I wanna be a great example for them. And I'm reminded by my mastermind friends and my colleagues and, and people who just continually lift me up in the space that I'm trying to put myself in, especially because, again, to point number one, I'm always trying and expanding and sort of uh, you know raising my bar. So remembering your why. Number four, gamification. This isn't for everybody, but it's definitely for me. There's a reason why some people are so obsessed with their Apple Watches. It's not just because they can read off their text messages from their voice into their watch. It's because they have these little rings on them that keep track of how many steps you take and heart rate and all this other stuff. And you have to fill out the rings every day. And I know some people who are absolutely obsessed. I knew a guy who was short on his rings one day that he got up on the plane. He was on a plane traveling And because of the hour that it was, he wasn't going to be able to get his rings in on time and have enough steps that he ended up just walking on the plane up and down the aisle a bunch to get in those steps so he could fill up those rings because you get a streak. And worse than the pain of doing the thing, the work, the work out, the content creation, whatever, is the pain of breaking that streak. And so gamification can be a really amazing tool for you to continually show up, to keep track of what it is you're doing and, and try not to stop that streak. You know, and this is why batch processing in the world of content is key because yes, there are weeks where I just don't feel like podcasting. There are weeks where I don't feel like getting on video. But because there are weeks where I am so into it I'll batch process and use that energy that I have at that time to create as much as possible, multiple podcast episodes, multiple videos, so that when and if there are moments where I'm just not feeling it, it's still consistently showing up for people because we have a backlog, right? And this is where planning ahead comes into play so that you can remain consistent, not because you're grinding yourself to the ground, but because you've planned ahead. Right, And you've built yourself a little library or a compendium, if you will, of content that you can come out with still continually and consistently for your audience while you are taking breaks and working with your own energy and resting up when you need to. And then number five here, and this is one of my favorite things to do, is to mix it up. Yes, we want to remain consistent and our audience expects a certain level of standard of quality in a certain type of episode but honestly one thing that's kept me going over time is mixing it up every once in a while these friday follow-up episodes weren't always here and they might not always be here we we're probably going to mix it up in some way shape or form or who knows if they're going to move to its own podcast or or what but mixing it up allows me to get reinterested. it allows me to get excited again about Something that feels like it's new, even though it's actually just a adjustment or a pivot or an experiment that I'm running within the business. And it also gets the audience excited. You know, as consistent as we want to be, a little bit of mixing it up or a pattern interrupt or a state change, as you will hear it said sometimes, is always good to reset people to get them to go, oh. That's different. No wonder why I love this show. Or, wow, this is, like, I haven't heard it like this before. This is interesting. And at least you're getting people to pay attention. Because sometimes when people consistently consume your content, they can begin to put on those blinders. And I think it's important to mix it up because when you mix it up, you can have fun. And when you're having fun, your audience is having fun. And I'm having a lot of fun right now. I hope you can tell going over these things. And I am just so grateful that I have 13 years of business experience now. I... Man, that makes me feel really old. Since 2008, of experience of failures, of wins, of relationships, of trial and error and attempts and experiments that I could share with you. And a lot of this, everything here today is not just me talking and regurgitating things that I've once heard before. It's me having also lived through these things. And hopefully you can tell uh, with, with the fact that we're at episode 510 now that we've got this consistency thing down. Um, The other thing I'll share is as you begin to grow your business and you might be in this place in your business right now, but there's going to be moments where you're going to start to feel burnt out and avoiding that burnout like we talked about in episode 509 with Dory is really key. And this is where you make a decision to, you know, slow down a little bit, which is totally okay to do or hire a team to help you so that they can continue to push the pedal for you or even push it faster or push multiple pedals to allow you to go in different directions should you want to do that without spreading yourself thin and burning yourself out. So I hope this episode was helpful for you today. I want to thank Dory Clark for inspiring me to share this kind of information because remaining consistent, very, very important, especially if you want to build fans. You're not going to build fans if you just show up when you want to show up, but you also got to show up when you don't want to but using tricks like batch processing and then reminding yourself about the why and making it easy for you to start so it's not even feeling like work anymore or a chore. These are all methods and strategies you can use to make it easier for yourself and your future and your content and your audience is gonna love you for it. So thank you so much. Make sure to listen to 509 if you haven't already. Just go back one episode and we have some great guests coming your way very, very soon too. So make sure you subscribe if you haven't already. If this was the first time you listen to me here, thank you. I appreciate you. Make sure to check out smartpassiveincome.com. And if you're interested in joining a community of amazing entrepreneurs, you can apply at smartpassiveincome.com slash pro where you can get access to events and access to my team and each other and masterminds and book clubs and other workshops and other things that'll help you in your business. Again, check that out, smartpassiveincome.com slash pro. And I'll see you next week. Cheers, peace out, take care. And as always, Team Flynn for the win. Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income podcast at smartpassiveincome.com. I'm your host, Pat Flynn. Our senior producer is Sarah Jane Hess. Our series producer is David Grabowski. And our executive producer is Matt Gartland. Sound editing by Duncan Brown. The Smart Passive Income podcast is a production of SPI Media. We'll catch you in the next session. A while ago, I let you know that it was coming. But now I'm thrilled to let you know that it's finally here. Our newest podcast, The Community Experience, is now out and available wherever you listen to podcasts. Again, The Community Experience. It was designed to explore all things community and go deeper with you in terms of what it means to create and to participate in a community any community, not only that, but we wanna help you design communities that thrive, whether it's a niche community or it's based on fandom or tied to a personal brand or your business. So if you've ever found yourself asking questions like, well, how do we make a community flourish? How do we keep it vibrant and supportive, right? Can we actually create authentic connections in communities? Well, if you've ever asked yourself those things, you're gonna love the Community Experience Podcast. And each week, team members within SPI host the show. Jillian Benbow and Tony Bacigalupo, and they help you learn practical strategies and insights from people on the cutting edge of community building, as well as they give you a peek behind the scenes in terms of what's going on within our own community, SPI Pro. And we, everybody, myself included especially, believe that community-driven content and commerce is changing the landscape of work and life and that we hope you'll join us for the ride and embrace the experience. So the community experience is now available and you won't want to miss it. Episodes drop every Tuesday, so make sure to follow or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Go ahead and subscribe now. The community experience. It's going to be awesome. Also, today's show is sponsored by AppSumo, the leading digital marketplace for entrepreneurs like you and a great way to get your product in front of over one million entrepreneurs, founders, and small businesses. So here's what's going on. They're giving away their entire $1 million Black Friday marketing budget to creators like you. If you have an ebook, an online course, templates, or any other digital products, this is for you. You list your product on AppSumo between September 15th and November 17th. And The first 400 offers to go live will receive $1,000. The next 2,000 will get 250. And everyone who gets listed gets entered to be one of the 10 lucky winners to potentially receive $10,000. So go to AppSumo.com slash Pat Flynn to list your product today and cash in on this amazing deal. Again, AppSumo.com slash Pat Flynn. Link in the description as well. <laughs>
1: James McConney here, co-host of the ACC's Agenda podcast. If you're a fan of topical sports discussion... And downstairs analysis, then make sure you check out the ACC's Agenda Podcast. Now, Radio Voice, available now on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. Nothing but Sport. Join Darcy Waldegrave on the biggest hour of Sport. It's Sports Talk, 7 to 8 p.m., Tuesday to Friday. Opinion and interviews. All the Sport you can handle. Listen and follow on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. News Talk ZB.
4: G'day New Zealand, this is The Country. I'm Jamie Mackay, Rowena Duncan, Tess Apprentice and Randy Backman from Backman-Turner Overdrive having a birthday. Geez, he must be a ripe old age. 78. <clears throat> He's almost as old as our next guest.
2: Almost as old as you.
4: Ah uh, ha ha, Winston Peters. Um, and I think he'll confirm or deny, I think he played rugby against Walker Nathan. Uh, oh, of wow. course we were yeah. trying to get a hold of uh, Ian Kirkpatrick on Friday's show, couldn't get him but we will get him, he's a Poverty Bay farmer obviously Uh, lifestyler these days and um, a former All Blacks great played a lot of rugby with Wakanathan so I want to talk to him about that, what's happening in the uh, Poverty Bay East Coast region and also what's wrong with rugby when the game is dominated by bombs, up and unders Gary Owens, whatever you want to call them Surely it is ruining rugby. So Winston Peters to kick it off. Ian Kickpatrick. Doug Avery, the resilient farmer, it's Mental Health Awareness Week. So we'll see uh, what's happening in Doug's world and also um, update things in Marlborough. They're heading into their spring season. They traditionally start drying off at this time of the year. We'll see how they're getting on. And talking about drying off, uh, Phil Duncan. Monday's resident weather expert as well. Right, just before we get into it, what did you two think of the footy?
2: I was uh, impressed that it was close the whole way through, if that's the only bright light we can take from it. And fabulous kick by Geordie at the end.
4: Oh, Geordie was great all day, diffusing yeah. those bombs. He was, yeah. I'm glad he's such a big bugger, because if we didn't have him back there, I think we might have been in real trouble. So but well done, Geordie Barrett.
2: Quite frankly, I'd rather watch the Heartland Championship. Even though Tessa, what well, I was actually bar hopping in Queenstown at the okay. time <laughs> <laughs> But I did see it up there You didn't oh. miss anything cause. It was close, let's just say that it was Yeah,
4: close. yeah, okay, rightio <laughs> Alright, um, so uh, I wonder, by the way um, Just while we wait for Winston Is um, whether this song You Ain't Seen Nothing Yet by Backman Turner Overdrive Might make our Rabobank 100 or top 100 farm tracks What yeah, do you reckon? But, I would I, 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 I just know. about have it in there
2: Oh, I have it in there I think it's a really upbeat song and a good one to listen to you while you're out in the tractor or in the milking shed or something like that if you've got a tune that really brightens up your day on the land nominate it in the Rabobank farm tracks on the country our quest to find the top 100 songs that get you through a big day on the land plus we're giving you the chance to win your share of $5,000 just for taking part there are three cash prizes to be won head to the country.co.nz click on the win with the country banner to nominate your song that is literally all you have to do. If you're struggling to find the link, just head to our Facebook page. It is pinned to the top.
4: Yeah, you ain't seen nothing yet. A smug hermit kingdom. Comparisons to North Korea. Was Sir John Key on the money? Or did he miss the mark? Winston Peters up next to answer that question. Well, speak of the devil, guess who's up on the country now? His name is Winston Peters. And, Winston, am I going to find you agreeing with your old sparring buddy, John Key, or Sir John Key, about how we get out of the COVID crisis?
1: Well, the reality is
5: that uh, we went from being at the very front of the world in uh, 2020, when uh, COVID arrived in this country, and uh, we've fallen back dramatically because... In terms of the vaccine rollout, which is our passport to a changed future, we were just far too slow. Far too slow on picking the right uh, testing method, that is having nasal tests as opposed to a, uh, you know, saliva tests, which are far more simple, far more speedy and as accurate. And then in the rollout, we're way behind And as, as a consequence. We've got a you know, billion-dollar-a-week lockdown happening. All of which, if the rollout had happened like they promised, would have been um, obviated. And we'd be making some serious progress now because John Key is right about this. The massive loss financially uh, is just building up our debt.
4: Now, there is some debate as to who came up with the phrase hermit kingdom. Imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. Is it his (laughs) saying or yours?
5: Ah, look, I hate to say this, but... Uh, I Q&A, bet you you do. On Q&A, a whole week ago, I used the phrase, and, and funny enough, some people called me and asked me, what do you mean by that? But anyways, uh, I saw John Key using it over the weekend, so I thought, well, at least somebody heard.
4: Did you quote North Korea? No. Do you think John Key was wrong in doing that? No, he's
5: not wrong in doing that. Uh, of course, uh, uh, the reality is that we've got a massive economic crisis on our hands. And it's one thing to talk about the safety uh, and the health of New Zealanders, which is a major priority, but we could handle both had we got the rollout fast enough. And uh, the idea that we're going to go, as it looks like, all the way to Christmas in a form of lockdown is a real worry when it comes to our economy.
4: Yeah, but we've got the rollout going now, Winston Peters, but the trouble is we're even hitting a bit of a roadblock now. We're getting to that point where we're having real difficulty convincing the last 20% to get vaccinated. What about some of John Key's ideas? Are you, for instance, a fan of COVID passports mandating vaccines?
5: Well, first of all, the idea about a COVID passport will be forced on us from abroad abroad. We can have all the debate we like in this country, but if other countries say you're not coming in without a COVID passport, you won't be going in there. That's the reality. And so, you know, some things are forced upon you and it pays to be rational and sane and say, well, let's move with it now. But the real issue is, look, there were people walking out in April saying you're not listening in terms of how to roll this thing out. How can you have 98% rollout in Nui and 98% rollout in, for example, the Cook Islands And then, say it's a cultural problem in New Zealand. It's the approach.
4: Why is Māori and Pacifica, or why are Māori and Pacifica dragging the chain?
5: Well, they're not, but they haven't been approached properly. In Hawke's Bay, for example, which is the standout area of the rollout where Māori are concerned, they did a a few things right. They went to the people and said, you need this. Uh, And where they haven't, they haven't had a
4: response. You talked about a COVID passport. That's fine if you're in the market to head offshore. Most of us aren't. But what about a COVID passport for doing anything of any note in this country? Going to the rugby, watching the Springboks kick up and unders endlessly all day, or going to see Guns and Roses, or going to church. Well,
5: look, it's a freedom issue, but the freedom works this way as well. Uh, it's you know, with freedom comes responsibility. So if for example, you've got a restaurant and you're saying you can't come in unless you've got uh, you've been vaccinated, then that's it. Because people are entitled to say our workforce needs to be protected. And where is this most critical? Well, in our health system, it's critical. So if in our health system, the lead in terms of the health delivery in this country, then the rest of us should surely follow. If you're going to stand around arguing about your freedoms, the answer is, yeah, well, you're free do not get vaccinated, but with it comes these responsibilities. You cannot enforce yourself or your uh, personality up close to people in certain environments, particularly inside.
4: Auckland is the powerhouse of our economy. Do you see it staying in lockdown till Christmas? Surely you're not referring to Level 3 lockdown.
5: I'm staggered to hear you say that. That Auckland's the powerhouse of our economy. The powerhouse of our economy and exports and and, uh, wealth creation offshore is not Auckland. Have a good hard look at our export record and who's racking up the billions of dollars to keep our country going.
4: Perhaps I should rephrase that. It's the commercial powerhouse of our nation. Everything effectively, in a lot of ways, comes in and out of Auckland. That's what I meant. Of course, economically, it is the primary sector. But you know what I mean. When Auckland shut down, the rest of us suffer.
5: Oh, there's no doubt about that. And that's the tragedy uh, you, you'll find it very difficult at the moment because you've got a certain brand of people who all support one level of c- uh, campaign against COVID and they will not admit any other alternatives. But when you say to them, come on, you were promising in April a rollout, why haven't you delivered? They haven't got an answer. But of course, it's serious about our commercial centre, Hawkins. Yeah, but are we scared?
4: Are we scared and cowering? I see in the latest survey, seventy percent of Kiwis said they supported lockdowns.
5: Yes, and they would say that because they haven't been given the viable alternative, or the how shall I put it, the debate and argument about a faster rollout for a safer economic and social future. If we were, for example, at the rollout level we should be, then why would Auckland have to be in lockdown? Because we're not going to get... I mean, first of all, let's look at it. I don't want to get too serious about this. But the idea that you're going to eliminate COVID is a fiction. It's an epidemic that will be with us for decades now. The idea that we're going to have elimination of COVID is really so sad because that's not the way it's been in the past with all the other things, including flu, influenza, and all those other conditions.
4: Okay, let's change tact and just finish with yeah. uh Walker Nathan, the late Walker Nathan now. We're going to be talking to another great all black loose forward and Kirkpatrick, hopefully before the end of the hour. You you're of a generation, Winston, and you must be proud of this. You played rugby against Walker Nathan.
5: <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did actually. I was the first five of varsity. He's a loose board for Otahu. So, sure, I would most certainly remember him, yes.
4: Did he collar you a few times? He was called the Black Panther. That would be politically incorrect these days as well, wouldn't it?
5: No, nah, well, it shouldn't be. I mean, the reality is that uh, there's also a similar name for a guy, a great Portuguese player called Eusebio had that name because he was a brilliant goal kicker. And, you know, we've become so PC. And Albie wouldn't have been uh, upset by that, but... Uh, no, he was a great player, uh, and uh, as the precursor to people like Kirkpatrick and others coming along.
4: Just finish on the Springbok test. I know you're a rugby nut like myself. I think it was one of the worst rugby games. It was a close encounter, I get that, and there was a lot on the line. But it would be one of the worst examples of rugby I think I've ever seen in my life. William Webb Ellis didn't grab the ball and immediately do an up and under or a Gary Owen. He ran with the bloody thing. The Springboks will kill rugby.
5: You might say that and it wasn't exciting, it wasn't exhilarating. But sometimes, times on the paddock, you're forced to play in the conditions and the circumstances you, you've got.
4: Oh, take it up the guts. It sounds a bit like New Zealand first in 2023. <laughs> well, look,
5: well, the answer, the answer to that is you're quite right. It was sad because uh, I watched the Box versus Australia and they were much more exciting games and different games. The Box knew that they uh, had a very good chance of beating the All Blacks and, boy, they almost did.
4: All right, Winston Peters, thank you very much for your time. Uh, Really appreciate it here on The Country.
5: Thank you very much. Cheers.
4: It is 20 after 12. You're with The Country. Right, everyone, seems it seems, is wanting to claim that they made up the moniker or the saying Hermit Kingdom. Of course, uh, John Key used it with his press release comments over the weekend. Winston claimed he used it the week before on Q&A. And now, and now, wait for it, another great New Zealander, Steve Wynne-Harris, is claiming he included it in one of his Farmers Weekly columns uh, three weeks ago. The only problem for Steve is no one reads his
2: column. <laughs> you are cruel, Jamie. Steve, you need you know to send us a you, photo of that column for proof with date. Yeah, come on, Steve. You know, like they do when they kidnap someone and they hold up the newspaper with the date on for proof of life at that time? We need proof of this column at that time.
4: Radio. If you haven't caught up on the sports news, the ride and I've missed this this morning. I've been busy writing a column myself. Um, the the Ryder Cup 1999. The Yanks, the Americans. Let's be more respectful. Always in control of this one. Great, uh, great sporting theatre. Certainly more interesting over the weekend than the Springbok test. That's just my thoughts on it. A bit later in the hour, we're going to get opinion from an expert, a bloke who's played lots of tests and scored the greatest. All black try of all time, he hates me saying that, Ian Kirkpatrick. But up next, it's Doug Avery because it's Mental Health Awareness Week.
1: I wish you would step back from that
6: ledge,
4: my you could 24 after 12 year with the country. I don't think this will make the Rabobank top 100 farm tracks. We should have asked our next guest, oh, Doug Avery, who's a man of great musical can I say taste? Throwing it out there, Doug. What would your favourite Rabobank Farm Track be if you had to pick one off the top oh. of your head?
7: Oh, gee, Jamie, I go back a fair way, and uh, it depends what sort of mood I'm in. If I'm in a, um, if I'm in a sort of reflective mood, I used to love the Stairway to Heaven. You know, wow. Damien,
2: I kind of claimed it. It's gone. Uh,
7: did he? Yep. Oh well, I'll, I'll, de- I'll move away from there. Didn't <laughs> <I>? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, well, good on Damien. he has got some uh, some good tastes in and music but uh yeah.
4: Okay, enough um, said there, no comment.
7: Right, Luke? I, I I love music, always have and uh yeah, I've been uh, been working a tractor in a vineyard this morning and just the music up and loving every minute of it. I thought
4: to. you were a sheep and beef farmer.
7: Uh yeah, well I am. Uh well I was. Um <laughs> but I uh yeah, just um, found a bit of spare time and I rung a mate and he said, oh, Doug, we're so far behind, so come and give us a hand. So that was that was cool.
4: So there you were, mowing the grass between the rows of vines. Is that the yeah, correct it's terminology? Kind of yeah. an
7: interesting thing, in, here in Marlborough, oh, New Zealand-wide, 14% of our 18 to 24-year-olds have actually gone missing uh, over COVID time and, and and the like. They They're not in education, they're not on the dole, they're not in training. Um, they're not receiving any other form of income at home or something on their devices at the, on the bank of mum and dad. And uh, so, you know, like here in Marlborough, the, 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 the vineyards have got a critical shortage of work and workforce. And uh, an old bugger like me doesn't mind helping out.
4: Doug, the the mental health, I put it to you that, and, and it's this is not the fault of the government, COVID's not the fault of the government, but there are other issues out there as well i put it to you the mental health of the nation's probably as low as it's ever been
7: uh yeah p- could well be it uh, could well be but uh, you know the the place that i want to take uh take this is to the positive side so mental health to me is an opportunity not a problem and uh, one of the things that we've all got is we've all got physical health and we've all got mental health and to me they're equally as important but by and large, most people don't see that. They sort of mental health, something like that's over there for somebody else. We don't want to be involved in that. But I don't know anyone who's fully uh, enabled their mental health. And I'd only say that there's people like Lisa, Lisa Carrington and a few All Blacks and that that are fully enabled, and other sports people that are fully enabled their physical health. So where I'm keen to see some more work done is every time a government gets hold of this, they go to the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff. And if we stay working like that, uh, we're gonna take a hiding as a nation in this area. If we choose a slightly different approach to view mental health as a huge opportunity to grow the the capability of the nation, and uh, uh, then we'll start to see a complete change. And so when I'm finished on this uh, talk to you today, I'm going on to a two-hour process with uh, a lady called Gina Cooper from Auckland, and her and her husband, Marshall, have produced a program called Lofty, and uh, that's a program that can measure mental health. And of course, like anything, like the grass in your paddock, like the uh, weight of your stock, You can't go anywhere until you measure where you are. And Dr. Tom O'Holland's Kind app, you know, I go in there about every six months, and, (laughs) Jamie, I'm losing weight. (laughs) So my Kind score's going up. Um, We can measure, if we measure mental health, if we measure physical health, Uh, We can do something about it, and I'm really excited about these sort of initiatives. But, you know, transformational government, no, I don't think they'll ever think about that sort of stuff.
4: Well you're doing a lot of good work around mental health and I'm sure you'll make a big contribution during Mental Health Awareness Week Doug, Uh, we talked at the top of the show about Marlborough where you're farming there, traditionally at this time of the year from now on in you start to get dry, how are you heading into, well we're into spring now, how are you heading into spring and summer?
7: Uh, Really really well so uh, I was out at the farm the other day and uh, we had a terrible uh, six months up till June uh, but the recovery's been fantastic. Uh, we lost a few lambs in a storm um, in, in early August uh, when that, all that snow came through. But since then, uh, the lambs are picking up and the uh, cattle that we've got on are doing incredibly well. So, yeah, Fraser, Fraser, Fraser and, and the uh, stock boys are, are really enjoying it. And I think that, you know, Marlborough, I'm looking out my window and the Richmond Ranges have got a light dust of snow on. And um, just been working out at Spring Creek. There's a hell of a lot of buds on the grape grower, uh, growers' vines. So, <laughs> typical mulberry fashion, they'll be hoping for warm, and um, the grass is growing like hell. And uh, yeah, no, it's all pretty good. Yeah, and, and the, the mental health of everyone shouldn't it shouldn't be too bad.
4: Well, in some ways, farmers, I know they've got a lot on their plate to deal with, but, you know, I look at poor old Aucklanders and level five or whatever of lockdown, and I think, you know, life on the farm, you know, when you put when you make a comparison, farming's got it good, Doug.
7: Uh, yeah, Jamie, I, somebody said to me one day, oh, hell, today's not a very good day, it's, it's raining or something, and I think, well, for somebody it is. And my advice for anyone that's not travelling well, just get a better coat or turn, turn you know, look at your hands, Look at the backs of your hands and then think, well, if you've got to catch a rugby ball like Geordie Barrett did or didn't, some of, the, some of them didn't, turn your hands around the other way and look at the palms. Look at the opportunities that are in the palms of your hands. So if you're going through a bit of a struggle and you look down at your hands and every time you look at them, turn them up the other way and say, but what would it be like if I viewed life in a slightly different way? And when you start doing that to every problem that you get, like some mental health, guess what? The sun
4: comes up. Well, I'm looking at the palms of my hands. They're a bit soft, actually. What do you, you think, Tess? Don't
7: do any hard work. No hard work. only,
4: thing they've, only thing they've held in recent times is a golf club and not that successfully on For, occasions either, Doug, but never mind.
7: And a beer bottle. Well, Jamie, oh, all so, oh, right. Shots fired from
4: Rowena Duncan.
7: Well, Wendy took me out to play golf the other day, and I don't think she'll invite me again. because it's about 15 years since I played, and she decided that I'm probably better to stay back here and, and be grumpy on my own than going out and spoil her day as well.
4: Just remember, Doug, when I started golf and I was having all sorts of mental health issues around my game, which I still have, still haunts me on occasions, a wise man said to me, there's only two people in this clubhouse who give a toss about your score." And I said, "Who are they?" And the bloke said, "You," and the, and the and the other bloke's the one who's just won a beer off you. And it's quite right. No one actually cares. It's not the Ryder Cup. Um,
7: I, think, I think that uh, with with mental health, this is this is a time you know, like we we all have got to sort of look at it. And you know, listen, listening to Winston before, I totally agree with what he said for a change. Uh, but we've got to look at the, uh, the 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 mental health of this nation is bloody important. And if we start looking at it as an opportunity, if we start investigating ways at which we can train and coach well people to, to be more able, then when you have a bit of trouble, and trouble comes to everybody, so some people don't think they have trouble, but everybody has a bit of trouble, then when you get to that point, well, you can actually say, well, actually I know how to deal with this.
4: All right, Doug, I'm having trouble now because I'm running out of time, so listen look, always good to have you on the show mate, we do have to go, we do have to go to a break. We'll come back with rural news and sports news, we've got Ian Kirkpatrick and Phil Duncan uh, before the end of the hour on the country.
1: Each week to get the latest from the rugby world, Rugby Direct is the podcast for real rugby fans. Every angle, every moment, every opinion with Rugby Direct, home for all things rugby. Call yourself a real rugby fan? Follow it on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. Rugby Direct, powered by
4: NewsTalk ZB. It is 26 away from 1. Here's the latest in rural news
1: the country's rural news with Lawnmaster hard working products for hard working Kiwis since 1946 visit steelfort.co.nz for your local stockist
2: In rural news Sinlay Milk has reported a $28.5 million loss for the July year driven by a sharp drop in infant formula sales The net loss at the higher end of the company's published guidance of between $20 to $30 million loss compares with a net profit of $75.2 million in the previous year Sinle says it expects to return to profitability in the current financial year, anyone's guess. and an interesting move though, Sinle have announced the appointment of Grant Watson as new CEO. Watson will replace John Pino, who's been filling in since the departure of Leon Clement earlier this year. What's interesting about this is Watson is actually currently the chief executive of Topal based Medaka. He's not been in the role very long after replacing Richard Wyeth in February. Wyeth held the reins for 10 years since Medaka's inception and from all accounts created an incredible team culture before moving to Westland Milk Products. That is your Wurrungi Oh, yes, Jamie. Oh, you're just in breaking
4: rural news. I've got my hand up like a nervous (laughs) schoolboy. Like a little schoolboy. on you. You you have been a bit grumpy this morning. Um, Now, the Alliance Group, who normally have their farmer roadshows, have just announced that they're doing virtual 2021 roadshows. So I guess it's a sign of the times in COVID. So we won't have those farmer meetings. They will all be online. That is breaking rural news for you.
2: All right. Here's Sport.
1: With AFCO Visit their new website at afco.co.nz
2: In sports,
5: The best advice that anyone could ever give you about golf Nobody gives us stuff about your golf And Jamie, yours in particular
2: Whoops, I slipped That was Murray Deeker to Jamie Mackay in 2019 There is a golf story in sports news Though the United States have beaten Europe 19-9 To retain Golf's Ryder Cup and the most dominant performance Since the current event format took hold in 1979 Leading 11-5 into the singles matches the hosts eased to victory with Colin Morikawa the, uh, scoring their winning half point in his match against Victor Hovland. And the Auckland and Northern District's men's and women's sides will miss the opening rounds of the domestic cricket season due to COVID alert level lockdowns. The summer will start on October 23 with defending men's Plunkett Shield champions Canterbury hosting Central District's Go CD. The women's Halliburton uh, Johnston Shield begins a week later. The men's Ford Trophy one day competition will begin in late November and be played through until Christmas with a pause Across, across most of January for the T20 competitions and that is sport, Jamie.
4: Up next we will chat to f- oh, Poverty Bay farmer of sorts these days, semi-retired uh, but an all-black great Ian Kirkpatrick paid tribute uh, to Walker Nathan and see what's happening in his neck of the woods and also, do we really want the Springboks bombing bombs away rugby? Is that the future of rugby? Surely not. <laughs> What a great song this is! This is the Rabobank Farm Track of an next guest, Ian Kirkpatrick. He should be serene, Kirkpatrick. He can't be a mile away from that one. Because uh, Kirky, on your first ever All Black tour in 1967, you were telling us BBC One was playing this all the time, and it was the favourite song of your coach Fred Allen. What a great memory! Good afternoon. Yeah.
8: Good afternoon, Jamie. Yeah, two right. Probably probably Walker Nathan's favourite one too, probably at the time.
4: Yeah, well, let's talk about Walker Nathan. We tried to get a hold of you on Friday, couldn't get you, but we've got you today. You played a lot of footy with him. Um, even though he only played 14 tests, he's regarded as a bit of an all-black great.
8: Oh, too right. Actually, I didn't play a lot of rugby with him at all. I mean, I was on that all-black tour with him, but he broke his jaw. And that probably allowed me to play my first test, although I probably probably ended up or so-called putting Kay, Kay main out but he wasn't 100% fit anyway but the fact that Walker um, broke his jaw and put him out for quite a while and he got a broken 63-64 as well but anyway um, yeah so I didn't play a lot with Walker because that was his last tour but I you know he was so good to me uh, you know I mean, being a new boy on the block I don't know why he sort of Started looking after me, but we we got on pretty well, and we were great mates ever since. You know, even though I didn't play with him much at all, um, but he was so so good to me, and we you know we got on pretty well together, and we we stayed pretty good friends uh, right up to when he. Started having his, his illness with dementia, so um, yeah, I said. cookie do
4: you worry about that yourself? And this is, uh, and this is a touchy subject to touch on, but but in your day. Um, you, you guys were tough. You, am not saying rugby players now aren't tough, but you, you got knocked out. You literally got up, shook your head, and carried on playing. They have much better um, medical care and advice than you guys did in your day, and I'm sure that some of those heavy head knocks have been proved. Well, I know a lot of old former All Blacks who have suffered because of the knocks they took.
8: But one thing, Jamie, one thing about the head knocks, we, you know, we... Obviously, the game has always been physical and there's been sort of, you know, there's been the odd head, head knock, obviously, but but the head knocks then were nothing like the ones now. These ones now, you know, 120Ks going into 120Ks, going quite quick, and you lead them with your head. You know, are you are going to have a tap? It's not a tap like we used to get. Maybe if you did, I, I think I might have got sort of a little bit concussed once, and that's all. And we never... You know, we never went out thinking, you know, we've got to watch out for our heads or you know, we're going to see the game out. Like these guys must be thinking, you know, the game they've got to play now, this has got ridiculous. And it, it certainly was like that. You know, we never ever, all we were so worried about, as far as all of are concerned, is whether we lost or not, not whether we're going to get a head knock or going to get bashed somewhere else in the body, uh, like these guys are getting. You know, they. They don't recover till Wednesday, some of these guys. You know, they've, they've got to play three days later. You know, yeah, do it yeah. all again.
4: It's a brutal physical game. I agree with you there. You're in a in a group of uh, former All Blacks. I know Ernie Curtin's in there. He's a, Earl Curtin. He's a great student of, of the game of rugby, who have got a bit of a gripe with the way rugby's heading. Well, your mood won't have been improved much by the Townsville Test match against the Springboks. I think it's possibly the worst game of rugby I've ever watched in my life. Not because of the intense competition, but because of just bombs away. If that's rugby. Gee, but, I might I might start watching AFL.
8: you did dead right. You obviously didn't see the Lions-Salvaga series because that was just about worse than than what we saw on Saturday. So when it came to you know, how the game was played and how they played it, I mean, you know, and they played it like that in the World Cup. They played Wales in the quarterfinal or semi final, was it? They did the same thing. The boys were of that game in the air rather than being played on the ground and, and running with it. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it was... I just thought that the game, it, you know, it was an insult to the game, really, the way that was played. And You know, the All Blacks and the Aussies have, have tried to play the the game that we all sort of enjoy watching, and then they obviously enjoy playing. But then you play against a team like Xavier, all they want to do is kick it, you know, 30 yards from their goal line. They put it up and under. I mean, how, how, how negative is that? You know, it's just... It was disappointing to see that, and the All Blacks obviously they, you know, they were under a bit of pressure, and they, you know, they probably, you know, they weren't quite used to that. Maybe it might be different on Saturday. Who you knows? I, would, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pre-empt what was going to happen on Saturday either. But I just hope that how we go home winless out of this. Because yeah, I hope they, they do they as well. They don't deserve to be held up there you know, as the world champs and playing that sort of game I'm sorry but that's what I well, think Well good on you Kirky and take. I think
4: the nation's behind you it's almost farcical, it reminds me of that very funny New Zealander Lee Hart aka that guy who used to have a bit of a gag about the defensive bomb but literally <laughs> literally, South Africa are playing a defensive bomb Can I just finish with, I know you're in Hawke's Bay today but you're still domiciled uh, in Poverty Bay how's, how's the season treating the farmers up there?
8: Yeah, it's not, not too bad. You know, it's been dry in places. and Other places have had rain. It's been sort of um, a bit patchy, uh, but of late, of late, it hasn't been too bad. Um, I think your cropping guys getting ready for crops are probably reasonably happy with the state of uh, what the weather's been doing to the to the farmers, whether it's um, up in the uh, up in the hills or whether it's on the flats. Really, so yeah, it hasn't been too bad. Yeah, of late, no.
4: Well, good on you, Ian Kirkpatrick. It's a real um, pleasure and an honour to have you on the show. And keep up the good fight to keep rugby a fifteen-man game.
8: Well, you know, we just hope that you know the the, the dropout between ages of twelve and eighteen is is massive, and yep. you know, we can't you know that we can't have that. That's it, and it's sort of become you you know no trouble with you know kids, primary school kids from four age of four five up to 10, 11, and the parents are all involved and said their morning they go to the secondary school and it all seems to disappear. And um, you know, the the players have to the kids that go to secondary school have got to make their mind up whether they want to play first fifteen or second fifteen and, and they're put off by what uh, you know what it is now. I mean the pathway is the secondary schools is the pathway into Getting a professional contract, and so that's putting a lot off as well. So, that's you know, that's another worry as well. So, uh, you know, I don't know. Mind you, thank We're God, God there is. Hand, I think there's really. one
4: exception in the All Blacks at the moment, just as a parting comment from me. I think Ethan, Ethan Blackadder, Blackadder. Yeah. chose not to play footy at school, wasn't that interested, and was happy to play in the third 15. and He's turned out all right, hadn't he? Hey, Kirkie, thanks, he for, thanks for yeah. your
8: time. Yeah, okay, Jamie.
4: See ya. There we go. Great bloke Ian Kirkpatrick Got to take a break On the other side But we've got Phil Duncan And some other stuff To do before The end (laughs) of the hour It is ten No it's not It's nine away from one Um, Yeah Marty Banks I love Marty (laughs) Banks But Marty You missed the one That counted We could have beaten Canterbury so Anyhow, close, Jan. How did your Wanganui team go?
2: Yeah, no good. Went down to uh, mid-Canterbury. So Tim Adlam, who owns the Spates Owl House in Palmerston North, he has just earned himself a pint on my behalf. Uh, mm. We had a pint riding on that game. So I will pay I've up. got I'm 100 bucks
4: that. with Tim Myers you do? for charity of choice for Manawatu M- up against Southland. Southland. They
2: went good on the weekend, Manawatu. Yeah,
4: but it? Canterbury's a good side, so I'm still, I'm still in the in the box seat <laughs> for that bet.
2: Oh, look, managing your farm, indeed, any type of business, you rely on up-to-date, up-to-the-minute information so you can make the right decisions, decisions that affect the continued viability of your operation, let alone your bottom line. That's where ArcGIS from Eagle Technology comes into play. From tree plantations to cropping and livestock, with ArcGIS mapping solutions, multiple agricultural applications benefit from using spatial data. You gain access to -to up-to-date imagery for infrastructure, surveillance, mitigating weather events and more in real terms, ArcGIS means better planning and maximum efficiencies whatever the scale of your operation I saw this in action on our road trip to Field Days earlier this year and I was super impressed. You can find out more at eagle.co.nz forward slash tech, or you can contact Murray McCullum uh, and his numbers on the website
4: Yeah he is and he's the more interesting of the, McCull- the two McCullum brothers that I know our That's so uh, we're, we're I'll leave it there Up next we're going to wrap it with Phil Duncan
1: to NetSpeed, for fast rural broadband that's springing up like daisies netspeed.co.nz
4: Well I hope Phil Dink- Dink- Dinkum? Duncan is more decisive that's how I got that word confused with his weather forecast than he is with his song choice it took an age to squeeze Guns and Roses out of you and the trouble with Guns and Roses Phil is you Aucklanders have flogged them from us here in Dunedin
9: Sorry about that
10: It's a good song, November Rain,
4: though. It is a good song.
2: It would have been great to hear it at Forsyth Bar. It would have been great to
4: hear it at Forsyth Bar.
10: I I can play that song on the piano, which is my biggest claim to (laughs) non-fame. Your one party trick.
4: Well, let's not worry about November Rain. Let's worry about September weather. Very quickly, just to finish the month off.
10: So we've actually got a bit of a cold note coming through at the moment. Um, Frost's in the South Island this morning. There'll be more again tonight, although mostly inland. So it's not not too problematic. And the North Island's got a low that's formed just off the wider upper coastline. That's going to drive in some wind and rain for the next 24 hours, especially in the lower half of the North Island. But as we go through this week, it's a very typical spring week. Um, Southwesters, showers coming through right through the week. But as we get to Friday, the first day of October, in comes high pressure, comes in for the weekend and also brings down subtropical winds. So the first few days of October are going to be warmer than average, settled and dry across most of the country.
4: Well, we'll take that.
10: Yeah, it's not a bad forecast, actually. It's pretty good for this time of the year.
4: OK, anything else to add? Not a lot. <laughs> we can All talk right.
10: more about Guns and Roses if you want.
4: Well, Rowena's just passed me a note, as has Tessa. They've had a note-passing competition. In fact, Tessa won. So they were going to be playing in November... Not in the rain here in 2021, and Guns and Roses. Like far
2: under the roof, so there would have been no yeah, rain.
4: But they're now the 10th of December, <laughs> at 2022 Eden at Eden Park. Phil, I hope you guys are out of lockdown by then.
10: Yeah, and I hope the weather's good. Cause
4: <laughs> do, you do, do you go, go that long range? Do you go long range 14 months out?
10: <laughs> yeah, we do actually. We set a mix of sun and cloud with west leaves, is
4: usually what I say. Yeah, four seasons in a day. All Thanks. right, Phil Duncan, uh, one of the briefer forecasts we've had, but we'll take it. It's a good one.
10: Yeah, easy, nice and easy. Hang
4: okay. in there in
2: level three. Thank you. Yeah, I have to make sandwiches
4: now. <laughs> You're living the dream.
2: Oh, there we go. Okay, go. so
4: that uh, that wraps uh, the country today. Remember, if you want to win part of that five grand that's up for grabs from Rabobank, go on to our website and uh, name your favourite Rabobank Farm track. So I, I think in. I think November Rain by Guns N' Roses has to make the top one hundred,
2: and it'll keep Auntie Helen awake in Auckland and. Oh, yeah,
4: Helen won't like a concert at Eden Park, will she? We'll see you tomorrow.
1: If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes.
0: there and thanks for joining us on this episode. We are delighted to be joined by the Lord Mayor of Cork, himself a businessman, talking about how his role interacts with other businesses and we hear about the local impact of social entrepreneurship. I'm Jonathan Healy and this is Red Business. (laughs)
1: Red Business, Cork's exclusive business podcast. Now,
0: my next guest assumed the highest role in the city just a few weeks ago and has hit the ground running. More recently, he's been celebrating the success of pedestrianisation and the rejuvenation of the city centre. Lord Mayor of Cork, Colm Kelleher, how are you?
11: Very well, Johnson. How are you? I'm good. Thanks
0: very much for joining us on Red Business. You were talking the other day about how important it is to get the businesses up and running in the city and the benefit that they're seeing from pedestrianisation. We wouldn't have pedestrianised everything that we did just a few months ago, yet now it seems impossible
11: to go back. Yeah, completely. It's, it's it's kind of ironic. It took us a pandemic to realise that we could eat outside. Um, <laughs> uh, no, look, uh, we've, we've permanently pedestrianised 14 streets within the city. Um, we've received funding from Fault Ireland recently, uh, 1.4 million for the permanent pedestrianisation of those streets and to enhance the streetscape, the likes of outdoor furniture and outdoor awnings and stuff like that. But we're leading the way nationally from a local authority point of view in relation to permanently pedestrianising streets. You can see it uh, when you walk in around the city, Jonathan. Um, there's more footfall, people are more enticed to come in, sit out, have a beer, have a bite to eat, um, you know, meet meet their friends in the city centre. And, uh, you know, business then it can like trickle down economics from that because once they're finished their their, their meal or their drink or, or what have you, they go in and they start shopping in around the city. and um, We've experienced an increase in footfall in the city uh, during the pandemic, would you believe? Um, It's kind of like, uh, you you would imagine the opposite should have happened. Um, I know other local authorities uh, did the same in relation to pedestrianising certain areas of their cities, but Cork City Council is the first to permanently pedestrianise.
0: Mm. I, I, I I look we always like comparing ourselves with Dublin, particularly when Cork is doing better than it They didn't embrace it to the same degree up there and, and it was all temporary. Yeah. You ye went full throttle saying, No, no, there's no cars going back on these streets. These are for pedestrians from now on.
11: Completely. Like, look, you look at the likes of, uh, you know, Prince's Street and Cook Street and you know, they're all, and Caroline Street. They're all adjacent to Oliver Plunkett Street. And Oliver Plunkett Street was pedestrianised at certain points of the day anyway um, with, with the raising barriers. So when we had a look at it and it came before council, we decided that, you know, we either go big or go home here. And what, what type of model do we want for our city centre? Um, and I know that other local authorities have been in contact with my office and also with the chief executive's office in relation to how have we done it and and how can they mimic it um I know Dublin and Galway and even Limerick are looking at Permanently pedestrianizing certain streets above there as well. Um, Cork is uh, uh, has received one point four million from Fault Ireland, um, as I said, to uh, enhance the streetscape um, and the, the the public realm around the, the permanently pedestrianization of the streets in question. Um, and and we're, we're we're actively looking for other funding from central government and from EU funding also. So I don't think we're done in that regard. Um, but the uniqueness of I suppose the design of Oliver Plunkett Street with all the side streets off it the template was there and no one realised it you know um, like I went up Princess Street the other day there now and it looks like something on a sunny day you you confuse it with Italy or, or, or you know,
0: <laughs> you know? I, I, I'm not sure I've ever thought I'm on the Riviera on Princess Street but I, I'll try and visualise it next time I'm there um, the, this is permanent now so are we going to see how the streets that currently have that permanent infrastructure get on before we consider moving it elsewhere? Because I think that it gives the city a whole different feel to what we had pre-pandemic.
11: Completely, completely. Look, as I said, people are going in, they're meeting their friends, they're on Princess Street, Caroline Cook Street, um, and they're sitting down, they're enjoying the uh, the, 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 the city, the ambience, the atmosphere obviously a lot nicer in the summer. The money we got from fall to Ireland will, will weatherproof it to a certain extent. And look, it's it's in its infancy. We can only enhance it. I don't think anyone um, from a business point of view or, or from a public point of view uh, realised the potential that was there. And as I said, it took us a pandemic to realise we could do it. So it's a silver lining. And... Um, how long would it, will we evaluate the success of it and look at other streets? That remains to be seen. We can't pedestrianise every street in the city. Um, but, uh, like, you know, you look at even like Grafton Street in Dublin when they pedestrianised that a number of years ago. There was uproar that they'd stop vehicular tra- traffic through it. And lo and behold, now it's one of the busiest shopping streets in in, in the country, you know?
0: Yeah. Well let's not forget the Grafton Street in Cork is after getting a new lease of life as well because people didn't even realise it was there now they're sitting outside it is sipping a cocktail or two um, the nightlife side of it though mm. Lord Mayor hasn't come back and, and we're conscious that we're looking now at the next couple of weeks when nightlife and nightclubs might resume the fear you'd have is that some of the niceness some of the reason people have gone back in if the nightclubs start opening late night might get a bit messy some people might be put off are you worried about that?
11: Oh, look I think does, does there an air of personal responsibility upon everyone? I know the nightclubs have been detrimentally affected during the pandemic. Um, obviously, like the, it, with the lifting of restrictions again now, a further lifting of restrictions on the 22nd, um, uh, and the social distancing uh, requirement is going to be scrapped. We will have an increase in footfall in the city after hours, something that has been lacking for the last, I suppose, year and a half, 19 months. Um, But it's no different to pre-pandemic, you know, Um, a good policing model, uh, you know, uh, business communities and nightclub owners and late night bar owners coming together, working with city council, working with the guards and, uh, you know, working with themselves in tandem um, to implement a good policing policy for after hours. You're always, unfortunately, going to have aggro when there's drink involved, particularly late at night. But I would hope that, you know, the, the good citizens of Cork would have their wits about themselves, not to ruin it for anyone, you know.
0: Um, I have to talk to you about your, your yourself, if I can, colin Kelleher. I, you, you are something of an oddity uh, in the City Council, insofar as you're a businessman, uh, you're new to the Council, this is your first term. Um, people who work in business who are their own business owners uh, tended to shy away from getting involved in local politics, A, because of the amount of time that's involved, but B, it, it, you know, a lot of people go, why would I do that to myself? Uh, but you're there um, and and you're given voice to business in the Council, Is it a different approach that you're taking as a result of the experience that you've had?
11: Well, I suppose. Look, in, in my business mentality, you're right. I am a businessman. Um, I I, I own a chain of tire centers, Kellar's uh, tires, and Keller Auto Centers. We live in Ballin College Victoria Cross, and in Bandon and with my brothers. in a very successful business. I'm I'm glad to say we've built down through the years. It's by no means was it easy. Um, you know, but as as all business people or entrepreneurs would know, um, you know, unless you take a chance at anything, um, you know, nothing may materialize. I suppose my, my my business acronym would be a very linear thought. I'd see because of a problem i'd see a solution and i would cut through everything to get to it you can't do that in politics and um, you have to meet in the middle ground because your i suppose you know point of view may differ substantially from you know another elected member's point of view or one of the executive executive's point of view and their point of view and also your point of view may not always be the correct one but if you try to which i taught when i became a, a politician that I'd, I'd cut through the red tape it's a lot more easier said than done but that being said um traditionally, politicians haven't, in Ireland anyway, haven't really come from, uh, I suppose, the, the, the business background. Um, thankfully, I'm in a position within my business that I can give a bit of time to this. Politics is a personal interest of myself. But one of the main things that I would be, I suppose, focusing on is, albeit you have to meet in the middle ground, I would be trying to streamline stuff because... Uh, one of the re- main reasons I got involved in politics in Colleague when I first stood in 2019. And you're correct to say it's my first term in council and I was delighted to be elected Lord Mayor back in June. Um, so it's been kind of a, a rapid rise to going from, I suppose, just a, a, a businessman uh, to then an elected member of the council and then two years later to chair of the council as Lord Mayor. Um, but I felt back then when I decided to run that I had engagements with City Council or County Council at the time before the Boundary Extension and uh, I just thought that there was a lot of red tape that was unnecessary and it was sometimes productive. Mm-hmm. So that was one of my main reasons for getting involved. And look, uh, there has been... Uh,
0: well, a quick, obvious question. Have you managed to cut any of that red tape? I,
11: I, uh, look, uh, not all of it. Um, it, it. It's a lot more easier said than done, but... Um, I think, you know, since I've become a member of council and dealing with the political groupings in here and dealing with the uh, executive in here, um, they they find me, uh, as you said, a bit of an anomaly. Um, I, I, I just, I'm not one for for uh, sidelining stuff. I just cut through the red tape. And uh, sometimes I've been successful and other times it's, it's still a work in progress.
0: And mm. um, wh- when you are looking back on this term, and I know you're only just after starting, what would you consider to be a success? Uh, for the business community uh, uh, after you being in that high office for
11: 12 months? Well, look, I suppose if you look at the city centre prior to the pandemic um, and you have all the issues that go with it and, you know, and you, you had Panabans, you had you know, reducing footfall, you had car parks, the whole lot. I think that the main focus of Cork City should be after post-pandemic is that we recover better than what we were prior to it. We're awaking from a COVID slumber um, and the the investment that's been put in by central government with the Docklands, with the city centre quarter, with with the uh, the infamous event centre, which are all seen to be finally now within sight, I think that when we do come back, we need to support businesses bigger and better than we did before, because we're running a national or a city development plan at the moment, and we're modelling it on a fifteen-minute city. Um, but the main ethos of that is that you bring footfall back into the city centre. Unless you do that with businesses um, and retail, and even even accommodation, that's not going to be possible. And um, so, one of the main things, if I, when I leave office, in, in Uh, Next June, if I had, you know, uh, a contribution to do that, that Cork is a good place to do business. It's supportive of businesses. It's supportive of entrepreneurs, for people who make employment, for people um, that bring footfall and bring revenue back into the city. If I can have helped in some way in that regard, then I would have considered a, a success.
0: And is Cork in a great spot right now? Because you speak, I was only talking to someone today about London they'd visited and they said it's dead, that there's nobody in the centre of the city anymore because all the workers haven't come back, even though in the UK they can. Dublin is very, very similar. Dublin at night, it isn't much fun anymore. Cork, because it's a small compact city with all the... Effort that has been put in by the businesses and by the council is very, very different.
11: Could Cork steal a charge here? Oh, definitely, 100%. And I spoke with my counterpart in Dublin just recently about this, um, and she was saying that they're finding it difficult um, to entice people back into Dublin city centre. Dublin is is far bigger than Cork, obviously, in sprawl. You would have town centres like Drumcondra now and Crumlin and stuff like that, where you'd have all your local amenities out of the city centre. We have it to a lesser extent here in in Cork with the likes of Douglas, Ballancolide, Blarney, but it's great. We're such a small, compact city that we can entice people back in. Um, and I do believe that we can steal a charge here, um, like because, as I said, we're leading the way with the permanent pedestrianisations of the streets. Uh, other local authorities are looking at us. Um, but it, we're kind of bucking the trend as well, because it's happening in London, it's happening in Dublin, it's happening in Berlin. I spoke with a colleague of mine recently, something similar is happening there. And we, we seem to be bucking the trend. We've increased footfall into the city. We've increased business into the city. Um, and, you know, if, if we can maintain that, the better, you know. Uh,
0: well, look, we, we await with interest to see how many people will be out there eating their dinner uh, <laughs> on a cold, wet night in November. <laughs> but I'm sure there'll be some souls who'll be happy to do it. And don't forget, it, uh, is a, it's always sunnier more than it's raining in this fine town of ours. Lord Mayor of Cork City, Colum Kelleher, thank you so much for joining us in Red Business. Thank you, Jonathan.
1: Red Business. All that's best about business in Cork.
0: Now, a mindfulness programme for children is just one of the projects led by the latest graduates of the Social Entrepreneurs' Ireland Ideas Academy. Kind Minds was set up by Cork-based Sarah White and Julia Hearn and is designed to empower children's well-being through workshops and guidebooks on mindfulness, creativity and kindness and all the good stuff really. And it is the result of the work of Social Entrepreneurs' Ireland. We're going to talk to Sarah in just a minute, but first up, Darren McMahon is Development Manager with SE hi darren how are you good jonathan how
9: are you and thanks for having us on today
0: uh, it's lovely to talk to you darren tell me a little bit about the work that you guys do
9: yeah sure so to tell you really about the, the work we do is, is to focus on the first two words of, of the name really and, and what is a social entrepreneur and the way we see it as an organization as a social entrepreneur is one of ireland and society's sol- problem solvers they're typically, you know, they work close to a problem or they have a direct connection to a problem and they've decided to act really. So part of what we do as an organization then is to support those people uh, on their journey. And we would have three kind of key kind of areas of interventions, which we would call step, leap and soar. And Sarah, who you'll hear from today, is at the very first part of that journey, um, taking the first steps and putting an idea into action.
0: OK, well, let's find out what Sarah did. Hi, Sarah.
12: Hello, Jonathan.
0: Uh, lovely to talk to you. Um, tell me a little bit about Kind Minds and, and where the idea came from.
12: So uh, Kind Minds, as you said, was we set it up to empower children's well-being through mindfulness, kindness and creativity. And so Julia and myself had been, were basically were Montessori teachers. We'd been working with children for a long time. And we had seen uh, an increase in kind of anxiety based behaviors. And I mean, you know yourself, the pace of life has changed so much for everybody, particularly in in recent years. And we noticed that um, when we used mindfulness activities with the children, we saw a huge reduction in these anxiety behaviors. So we thought, you know, this this is great. And like parents were noticing it, it as well. So we thought, let's. Can we put this together? Can we put enough um, activities and tools together to make a program for children that would really benefit them? And mm. that's basically what we did.
0: Yeah. Now I know my kids are big into mindfulness because it is taught in schools. Uh, back yeah. In, back in my day, uh, you were lucky to, to kind of escape without getting a clatter. But um, <laughs> yeah. now it's obviously a lot more focused on their mental health and their well-being. But teachers and parents need extra resources on this because it's it's not in our natural ability to deal with this because we struggle with mindfulness
12: ourselves. Exactly. Um so yeah, it's it it is and it's and, and it's great to see that because as you say, like we, we weren't we weren't given these tools. And I mean as as parents, what we want to do is we want to shelter our children from the storms and things. But like the best we can do really is to give them a raincoat and, you know, so that they can they can weather the storms and that's what these techniques basically do for them.
0: Yeah. What What kind of techniques are we talking about here? Is, is it the idea of just, you know, taking a couple of seconds to withdraw, counting to 10 was always a big one?
12: Yeah, well, counting to 10 is a great one. And it, basically it kind of comes back to the breath. What we've done is we we have a couple of programmes. We have the Kindness Crusaders programme for um, for children. So it, that builds skills and um, skills like each workshop that we would do with the children would have a different skill that we'd concentrate on. So we might say the first workshop, we'd work on the breath and, you know, especially small children, they wouldn't, you know, breathing in through the nose and maybe out through the mouth. That's not something that they typically be used to. So we do a lot of games and things around that just to get them used to that. Um, And then we might work on, say, um, their senses and super focus and um, gratitude and kindness and things like that. So to them, they're playing, they're playing games and they're having a lot of fun and so are we. Um, but what we're doing is we're trying to build and um, give them a load of techniques in different areas. So for in, uh, breathing techniques, movement techniques, meditation and creativity as well. So just that they have, they have that, um, that kind of toolkit of techniques that they can take with them and use when they need to. Darren,
0: obviously a very important work being carried out by Sarah and by Julie. But if we were to look at, at where the funding for this comes from, who supports Social Entrepreneurs Ireland and, and how do you convince them to part with their hard earned cash?
9: Yeah, sure. So we are we are a national charity um, and a registered charity, John, but we are totally privately funded. So we would have a number of supporters that would back programs like the Ideas Academy. Um, we would have a lead sponsor who is Bank of America. And also then in the West, Life's the Lives to Good Foundation would would fund that uh, initiative. And down here in the South, the Tomar Trust would be, would be a funder of the of the Ideas Academy South. Um, in terms of kind of who those kind of people are, they're they've many backgrounds. Some are individuals, kind of kind, mind, kind minded kind-minded, um, impact-driven individuals who kind of maybe have started up a business themselves and are and looking to give back. Corporates then are very much so focused on 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 the community or, or or in initiatives like like Sarah, but are are looking to back kind of community driven or impact driven um individuals, and then philanthropic foundations would kind of be the other cog in, in our wheel.
0: Um, you got you put a call out for applications for funding. Um, obviously we're speaking to one of the successful applicants, but y- your your demand massively outstripped the funding available, didn't it?
9: Yes. So up to we've been around since 2004 and up to this point, we've been able to support 435 and just are in, in around that kind of different social entrepreneurs. Some of, of your listeners might be familiar with the more national names, the likes of the Pieta House, who focus on mental health, uh, Food Cloud, who focus on food waste, maybe as well, uh, GIY, who focus on kind of growth yourself initiatives and, and men's sheds. But then as well, we would have the likes of of Sarah who are coming in for the first steps in that journey. You know, starting starting out on that first journey. Um, this year we 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 aim to work with it in and around kind of between ninety and hundred different social entrepreneurs. But there are many many more that that we are looking to work with. Um, as as I kind of said earlier to you, John, and I'm based in based now in Cork, and one of the initiatives that we're looking to do over the next while is really start to grow a network of support down here for for social entrepreneurs like Sarah. But also when the call for applications comes out every year in in kind of March time that we see more applications coming forward from people looking to start a new idea.
0: Okay, and the, the call has gone out for this year. There will be funding again next year. And I suppose, Sarah, most importantly, if anyone wants to find out a little bit more about Kind Minds, how do they go about doing it?
12: Uh, well we're online we're, uh, we have a website which is kindminds.ie and we are also on Facebook and Instagram the usual social media outlets um, so yeah if anybody wants to find out we're, we're hoping to run some practitioner training workshops in the very near future as well so come and find out about us
0: Okay very good Sarah White co-founder of Kind Minds Darren McMahon Development Manager with Social Entrepreneurs Ireland thanks both for joining us on Red Business guys
12: Thanks, thanks a many, Jonathan.
0: Jonathan. My thanks, as always, to all of my guests. Don't forget you can download every episode right now from redextra.ie. Kira McDonough was the producer, and we'll catch you on the next
1: one. The only show in town for Cork Business, Red Business.
2: Sign up for the newsletter so you never miss an update.
13: When you think of the word co-op, what comes to your mind? Maybe a building you live in where you have some type of ownership, where you get to choose who your neighbors will be, or maybe a nursery where parents help with the work of the school. Yep, those are co-ops. And when I think of a co-op, the first one that comes to mind is my old grocery store in Cambridge, Massachusetts, where I knew I could get cheaper prices on groceries if I became a member and volunteered. But I never did. The point behind co ops is that you invest time and energy into an organization, and in return, you get to be involved in decision making in some form of fashion. It truly is a give and take. And I thought the critical ingredient is that you need time to volunteer. But today's speaker shows that there is so much more to co ops than what I just described. This is Ted Business. I'm Madhupa Akinola. Look, in business, we talk all about capitalism, competitive markets, free markets, wage labor. Capitalism is considered the key way to fuel the economy. But today's speaker offers an alternative method, and she claims it's more effective and more humane than capitalism. It's cooperativism. Anu Pusa is a professor at the University of Eastern Finland Business School and the deputy head of the management department. In her TED at BCG talk, Anu explains how cooperativism can work for all participants in the economy, from adults to children, and can also help local communities and the environment if we just give it a chance. Here's Anu after a short break. No matter who they are or what they do, companies want to give their employees all the support they need and deserve. Our sponsor, UKG, has HR and workforce management solutions that can give you the tools you'll need to help make your people, all of your people, feel like they belong. UKG, the cross-category leader in HR solutions. Visit ukg.com to learn more.
6: Hi, it's Debbie Millman from the podcast Design Matters. Thank you to User Testing for sponsoring today's episode. Stay tuned to hear about how user testing can help you with your new project.
14: When I told my husband about this wonderful opportunity, he said, TED Talk? Wow, I get to do that a lot around here. It's finally someone else's turn. So, yes, I happen to be married to a wonderful man named Ted, which is pretty rare in Finland where I'm from. It's not a typical Finnish name at all, trust me. I myself, I'm a business professor and I love teaching. But you know what? My students are fed up. They're really fed up with the way the business is screwing up the environment and making wealth inequality worse and putting money and profits above all else. And what really makes them mad is when I tell them about the cooperative movement. They're angry because once they understand how cooperatives work, they feel like a secret solution has been kept hidden. Before I tell you more about why cooperatives are so great, I want to explain what they are. A cooperative is an organization that is owned by its members who are also its customer and decision maker. And unlike most businesses where certain owners can buy more power and influence, in a cooperative, every member has one vote, which was a revolutionary idea back when the model was first introduced. A regular man, not to mention a woman, with no significant means or a prestigious position in a society as an owner and equal partner in business, unheard of. Perhaps it's still a bit revolutionary. Cooperatives exist in a sweet spot between the for profit and non profit worlds. Their uniqueness is based on the idea of duality they have two distinct but complementary roles. On one hand, they act like any other business and try to make money, but on the other hand, cooperatives are, and do so much more. They are people-centered enterprises run by and for their members, and they try to achieve economical but also social and cultural goals to benefit those members who are just regular people like you and me. And what has happened for almost 200 years is that cooperatives have proven to make decisions with a view across generations instead of quarter to quarter, to benefit more people and to anchor wealth in communities that might not otherwise attract investment while still being competitive and innovative. Sounds pretty good, right? I guess that's why at the end of a class the other day, a student all red and jazzed up basically shouted at me, I've always been a straight-A student, done all the work, read all the books, and now you're telling me that all my life I've missed hearing about a movement with this magnitude. I get this a lot. The organized cooperative movement started in 1844 with the Rochdale Society of Equitable Pioneers. This was a group of weavers and artisans who, out of desperation, opened a store together to sell things that they could neither get nor afford alone. The cooperative movement spread from there and became a global phenomenon. Many of the modern day credit unions and farm credit systems you see in North America are descendants of the famous cooperative Raiffeisen system in Germany. And here in Finland, a man named Hannes Gebhardt is considered to be the father of the Finnish cooperative movement. In the 19th century, he introduced cooperatives to help people tackle debt, poverty, and unemployment. It turns out this is the foundation of a country known for its democratic values, high-quality education, and the happiness of its citizens. And this line of impact of cooperative movement can be found in other places in the world too. I'm proud to say that in relative terms, Finland is one of the most cooperative countries in the world. We have about 5.5 million people who have over 7 million memberships in cooperatives that run everything from groceries to banks. Each time I shop at our grocery cooperative, when I fill in my gas tank, eat at our jointly owned restaurant, stay at a hotel or buy clothes or hardware stuff, I get bonuses that can be up to 5%. And when I pay with our cooperative's bank card, I get an additional half percent off. And I know that when the cooperative is doing well, it's not funding a single person's luxury vacation in the Bahamas. Every year, a governance body comprised of elected representatives decides how any operating surplus will be used. Some of the money will go back to their members. For example, this year, Our consumer cooperative, Pohjois-Karelan or PKO, as we call it, it's part of the S Group, which is the biggest cooperative group in Finland. They had a surplus of 2% on members' purchases and 12% return on money invested. When you add up the savings and the return, my family received more than 2,000 euros back, which is more than we spend on groceries in one month. Not to mention that our grocery is about 7% cheaper than its main competitor. I'm a member owner in three cooperatives, and my husband has four memberships, a consumer, a bank, an insurance and a water cooperative. We have two beautiful girls who are 10 and 12 years old, and they are also member owners of the S Group. Their memberships cost us 100 euros each. We want to pass on the legacy and teach them about the benefits of cooperatives early on. And of course, they're very happy about the yearly interest on cooperative capital. But it's not just about us getting money back. It's about the greater good for our community. I'm not only talking about taxes and employment, even though our consumer cooperative is the biggest employer in the area. I'm talking about support for young people, sports, arts, university and cultural events. For example, as a member of the board of or a few years ago, we agreed to build a sports hall for Lieksa, which is a nearby city here in the eastern part of Finland belonging to our cooperative's operational area. After we built it, the city signed a very long-term rental agreement with us, so financially the investment made sense. And of course, it was a major gesture to the local people who now have proper facilities to do all kinds of sports. In another case, we ended up rejecting the investment proposal regarding building a senior house downtown. The idea was a very good one, but we declined because it was a big housing complex requiring a lot of capital with low expected investment return that would only serve a small part of the membership, less than 1% of our over 100,000 members, and therefore we decided against it. In a cooperative, if we only emphasize profitability, the interests of the membership may quickly become secondary. On the other hand, a situation where too much consideration is given to the members differing and changing interests may jeopardize the business performance. So therefore, finding a balance is important. One role should not have priority over the other. Metaphorically speaking, cooperatives by nature have been given two solid feet. And as you know, it's much easier to stand on two feet than on one foot. Ensuring that is the board's most important task. It is a very cool system. That balance means that cooperatives can help us meet ambitious environmental goals. In Finland, for example, S-Group aims at carbon negativity by the year 2025. A rescue, a network of 1,900 energy cooperatives with way over 1 million members, is promoting community energy, which is a key to decarbonized economy and a crucial step in tackling climate change. This is about more than windmills and solar panels. Community energy can help overcome the urban and rural divide and close the gap between north and south, between rich and poor, because it empowers local people. Community energy leads to energy democracy, holding the promise of an economy and a society based on cooperation rather than competition within the boundaries of the planet Earth. What is so wonderful about the cooperative system worldwide is that while cooperatives may sell different products or services, the goal is still the same for all of them to create sustainable businesses that benefit the people and the communities they serve, lasting for generations. This is also a significant global phenomenon, an invisible giant of the economy, resonating so well with the values of regular people, a form of business that recognizes that we people have other motivations and interests than purely and only economical ones. Today there are more than 3 million cooperatives around the world with over a billion members employing 280 million people which is 20% more than multinational companies. Cooperatives sell more than 2 trillion dollars worth of goods and services. That number is larger than the GDP of Canada. Doing good business and doing good at the same time really makes an excellent match. And this really works because it's all about participation. And while having lots of people involved in any project can often make things a little bit more complicated, we can also often get better and fairer outcomes. We can create better businesses if we truly include the people they serve. When we Finns travel abroad... We tend to brag about our sauna, sizzle fresh air, clean waters and endless forests. And of course that the real Santa Claus comes from Finland. But what we really should be bragging about is our cooperatives. Because unlike capitalism, the cooperative movement is not broken. It just needs better marketing. Thank you.
6: experience what your customer experiences with user testing whether you're launching a new product prototype or marketing campaign you'll get real-time video feedback the user testing human insight platform lets you understand it all from your customer's perspective plus it allows you to target your exact audience ask questions or request to perform tasks and get a window into their world the result You feel what your customer feels, so you can build the best experience imaginable. For a free trial, visit usertesting.com forward slash
13: talks. So you might be thinking, this is all fine and dandy in a country like Finland. But what about the U.S. of A.? Well, let me tell you, cooperativism is already here. SunKiss Growers, the makers of that delicious orange soft drink that your parents never let you have? It turns out they claim to be the longest-standing agricultural co-op in the country. Their company is made up of thousands of citrus farms across the West and Southwest. And you know your neighborhood Ace Hardware? It's a co-op, founded in 1924 by a group of Chicago-based hardware store owners. Today, the company is made up of over 5,500 stores around the world. The list goes on. There's Ocean Spray, REI, Cabot Creamery. Even the Associated Press is a co-op made up of journalists and other media professionals who are guided by a leadership team. There are also smaller co-ops that operate on the local level, from banks and credit unions to energy and communications companies. So now that we're all on the same page, that a co-op isn't just a grocery store or a grungy in college that you had to work to live in, How can you then think about incorporating this model into some aspect of your life if you find it appealing? You know, my church has its own credit union, which again is a co-op, and I've never even looked into what it does, what the loan rates are, what it would mean to bank there, and how doing so could benefit the community in ways I've never thought about. So I'm going to look into it. Is there a co-op in your neighborhood that you could take the time to learn more about? whether it's a hardware store or an ice cream shop, knowing that using these services will benefit the community directly. And there is a database with this information. The National Cooperative Bank released a list of the 100 most profitable co-ops in 2020. Take a look. There might just be one that's convenient to your work or your home. And for those of you who own companies, maybe you can think more deeply about whether your business can work as a co-op. Others of you work for companies where it may be possible to incorporate the co-op model in some way. The point is, the work of imagining a more sustainable means of doing business belongs to all of us. And maybe we just need to learn more about the co-ops that exist all around, and with this new knowledge, market them better. That's it for today. This episode was produced by Cosmic Standard with the help of Asia Simpson and Eliza Smith, researched by Cassie Brabaugh and fact-checked by Eliza Solomon. Our mixer is Sam Baer, and special thanks to Anna Phelan, Grace Rubenstein, Michelle Quint, Corey Hagem, and Colin Helms. I'm Madupa Akinola. Talk to you again next week.